Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today's another fantastic day for an interview, and it is a fantastic day because the guest that I've got on today, Daniel Ritchie, is a man who shares similar traits with me and who has had a similar love affair with martial arts and a similar uh, love affair and hate affair with uh, with addiction. So that already, when I read his story originally, uh, I thought, now nah, I need to have this guy on my show. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Daniel Ritchie. Welcome to my show. Hey, well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so you and I, at some stage in our lives, got completely hooked on the martial arts. Um, what was your journey into the martial arts? How did you become a fighter? So uh, I just, it was, it's weird how I, how I kind of came across it. So I always had a love for boxing and, and martial arts. Ever since I was a child, I would, I would get like uh, books out of the library that would talk about like the old time boxers, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and their journeys. And I was always like drawn to the, to the competitiveness, like the, the combat sport part of what fighting is right. Or mixed martial arts. And, uh, when I was, um, in my early, when I was about 19 years old, I had actually, when I was 18, I had my first, I fought my first tournament, um, wow. completely untrained, uh, uh, three fights in one night and, uh, I did well, but not well enough to win, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I learned a lot. I learned that, uh, in, in around the same time, I happened to link up with a couple of guys who were doing mixed martial arts. Uh, it was so, you know, no holds barred fighting at the time. It was considered human uh, cockfighting. It was yeah. a taboo. It was like a taboo sport. Right. So before UFC became out, became a known kind of thing and before rules were established. Absolutely. Yeah. So the one of the gentlemen actually just fought in the UFC. He ended up becoming a champion. Uh, another guy had just fought in, uh, fought uh, Fedor Emelianenko. If anybody remembers, uh, mm. remembers who he was, greatest heavyweight of all time. And uh, and I just, so I just started training with these guys and got my, my butt kicked <laughs> <laughs> as you do, <laughs> as you do, as you do. Yeah. Oh, Christ's sake. Now, typically there is, there's always a bit of a reason why, why people migrate to martial arts. Um, for me, it was ultimately a, a gang assault where, uh, someone just had fun with me and I was in the wrong place, wrong time. My bruises had not even healed when I was starting uh, training with the uh, German police. Um, you could do that at that time in police martial arts clubs. Um, and and we trained a very real system where in the 1960s, the German uh, law enforcement and the, the German military came together and said, okay, what's out there? What can we use to actually create a system that works for us, both on a battlefield in extreme vers versions or to subdue a pissed teenager? And they created out of karate, judo, judo and aikido, they created the German jujutsu. And that's what I trained. So a very practical system. Um, 
but still based on the traditional martial arts, whilst your system was far more at that time, a bit like ghetto fighting, far more, far more applicable, far more, a bit more like Krav Maga, I guess, uh, target focused mm -hmm. training without you gouging eyes out and without you ripping testicles off the men's uh, <laughs> lower parts. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. we need to see that thing. But what drove you there? For me, it was the gang assault. But what made you so tempted in the martial arts? So um, uh, my journey pretty much kind of started with, it was like, I'd say sixth, seventh grade. Um, I, I was somewhat bullied, uh, even though I was really athletic. Mm. I had issues. I felt belonging. And I don't think it was other people. I think it was me. Uh, I, I felt awkward. I felt insecure. I, I didn't feel right, you know? And, uh, really what triggered it was just, I wanted to be, it was like, I, I, I was drawn towards the kids that were standing on the corner selling drugs, not the other kids that were on the football field. And with that, I, I realized that you know, I had a natural ability and I kind of capitalized off that at the time in a negative way. Mm. But what really kind of what, what happened during that process was at 15 years old, I was falsely accused of a crime. Mm. And um, I was put into a uh, what they called here a state center because of my age. Uh, and because I was falsely accused of this crime, I would not say I was guilty. And part of this program that I had been temporarily put in as my trial was was coming was uh you had to write about your guilt you had to admit you were guilty and i wouldn't do that so i basically for two months i was physically abused tortured um and so it was it was a pretty uh it's pretty intense situation and i believe that fueled a lot of me wanting to make sure that something like that never happened again and me being able to physically defend myself you know <laughs> so a very similar so. story very similar drivers yeah. that that made you go out there um bloody hell okay so there you were that was 15 when did you start uh martial arts when about uh, i at 19 19 bingo mm -hmm. in between rebel times or what did you do? Was was alcohol and was was uh, drugs already a temptation then? Absolutely. I, I mean, I I started. I've had my first drink at at, at around like 13, 14. Mm. I you know I started using drugs around the fifteen. After that, after that incident, my my I began abusing pills, doing drugs, selling drugs. I ended up with a convicted felon. And became a ward of the state until I was 18 years old. Right. For stuff I did do <laughs> that time. But, you know. <laughs> having said so. that, having said that, the trauma of feeling betrayed or feeling let down by others uh, by falsely being accused uh, is such a such a powerful driver to really put you in a spot where you say never ever again. That was exactly where I was. So for the next, mm -hmm. after the gang assault, I started training and it was it was quite an intriguing, intriguing time. Around about that time, uh, up until the sort of the first year in university, um, I was training really, really hard, actually went through the grading system. Um, but 
at some stage, my a friend of mine, he had a girlfriend who was training to be a police officer. And we knew she was a damn good pistol shot. And then she just scraped through to her exam. And we thought, oh, what's going on? What, what you know, I mean, it is just such a good shot. Why the hell did you nearly fail? And she said quietly, no, I shot on purpose like that because if I'm a perfect 100% shot and then something happens out there uh, at nighttime with someone, people, uh, people will look at me harder than if I have got an imperfect thing. And that suddenly actually made me think, hmm, that's intriguing. That's where I stopped grading. Um, I didn't want to go towards towards blue, brown, black belt. Uh, and I stayed with green, which at green, I had the freedom to train a bit more like what I wanted to do and how it applies to my body, um, various yeah. forces versus uh, rather having to follow my instructors, etc. So it's intriguing. So it is, it changes you such an assault mm -hmm. because you actually, it's far more real for you having been betrayed, having been put into that place. And unfortunately for me, it is, it left me with a lot of scars, not the fighting, but the PTSD after the assault mm -hmm. that never really got resolved for, for decades and was an yeah. ongoing driver. Um, what, what was your mood like there? Can you remember? Was were you an angry man? Was was your frustration then resulting in anger, or was it more sadness, or what actually drove? What were the emotions you felt? Well, uh, helpless. Uh -huh. uh, I felt uh, betrayal. Betrayed was a big one, uh, and and I I just I I felt as though I felt trapped um yeah. it the anger didn't really manifest until afterwards it was like once i got off or once i the case was dismissed because it should never have been a case in the first place yeah. i was i was so ecstatic like so happy so grateful so thankful and then it turned into anger like how dare they do this to me <laughs> you know and we we know where that manifests oh too, shit so. yeah oh shit yeah. <laughs> yeah you described the better part of my life <laughs> <laughs> this resentment god that was my main thing uh, and i think for me it was actually part of the part of my my depression I mean, it was probably reactive but that was my main go to uh, emotion uh, whatever happened around me, anger and resentment. Hello, that was first. And then I asked questions. Yeah. And it's just yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Oh, God. And you you became quite good in your fighting, um, in I your did. fighting career. Uh, tell us a bit about that, because you, you came home with a few prizes. Yeah, I, I did do well. So uh, um, I had my first mixed martial arts fight. Uh, I believe I was uh, 21, 22, my first like official fight. Yeah. Um, before then, I had some other like matches, but... Uh, and I realized that I was, I was doing okay. Like I was winning, I was winning fights and, uh, I ended up becoming a, uh, back then in, a, in, you know, here we only had, you know, there was probably 10 shows really like across the country oh, wow. that were like recognized, <laughs> you know, back in like 2000. So yeah. I happened to fight at one of them here in Cincinnati, Ohio, and, I got an opportunity to fight for uh, the championship and, you know, I, that's a lot of things occurred there, but I ended up becoming a five-time champion, uh, you know, <laughs> fought some notable, notable fighters and, and 
you know, took off from there. But one thing I can say is uh, I always, I, there was always a party involved. You know, <laughs> always a party involved. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I see that. Always so, a party. Oh, goodness. So that was a completely different lifestyle mixed with your martial arts. Well, there for was. me, it was, like, it, it was far more dark. It was far more, far more focused and was far more <laughs> survival rather than that you yeah uh, uh, however you you combined the the survival and the, the kick-ass thing with well working out hard and playing hard it, absolutely yeah exactly and because i realized like there was two things that gave me a sense of relief yeah. like a, 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 and that was uh once the cage door would close or once i was in the heat of the combat yeah or uh putting uh alcohol and drugs in me that was were the only two times that i felt where like i was where i was supposed to be uh, do you know uh, what i mean like the, uh, the level of life so uh, uh, they, they were the same to me almost in a way interesting interesting i had not thought about it but now that you spell it out like that of course it makes perfect sense because everything else drops away there is only one yep. thing you have to live right now in the moment because otherwise the other guy beats the shit out of you. Um, so yep. you're quite right. Of course you are. Everything else, your mortgage, your thoughts, your the row with your girlfriend, it all drops away. It does no longer matter. And that's absolutely, I can see that. Yep. Crikey. Were you in a relationship at that time? No, no. I... I I struggle with relationships for most of my life, mm. my uh, personal relationships. Um, that's like friendships, relationships with women. I just uh, always struggled with it. I, I had, I don't know where that really came from so much, but I just, I struggle with commitment. Mm. Um, and if they were committed to me, I thought that something must be wrong with them. So no matter how like great or how amazing everyone else thought i was or how well i i appeared on the outside it was yeah trust issues just <laughs> ran rampant <laughs> oh so. for fuck's sake you you and i we are just a one two peas in a pot aren't we it's the same exactly the same story with me exactly the same bloody hell um so were there groupies involved so is there is there a uh, are there girls following around the the, the early ufc or the early champions there? oh yeah oh, oh yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah my goal and this this could be like but my goal at every show i ever fought at was like which ring girl am i gonna have uh beer girl <laughs> it was one or the other it was like, like i'm only going for a ring girl or a beer tub girl so, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, there definitely was, definitely was groupies. But, but then again, this was also a time in your life where you identified yourself with this masculinity. That masculinity, mm. masculinity defined you. You were Absolutely. at the top of your game. You were the, 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 the winner. You were it. Men mm. were at your feet and women were throwing themselves at your feet. There you go. This is wow! I can see, I can see where that that atmosphere nurtured you, where it gave you actually fulfillment, where it proved to you that you're not a failure, where it proved to you that mm -hmm. in your own belief system, wow! Hey, I have done it. I can see the pride. Yeah. I can, yeah, no shit. Yeah. However, however toxic with hindsight it might have been. Yes, I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it the way that you describe it like that. And again, another parallel there. Um, 
that I was brought up, the more women I can lay, the better it is, the more I'm a man. Um, yeah. However, however that is, but yeah, it is. Uh, wow. So injuries, typically a fight, it hurts. You feel bruised, battered. How did you deal with the pain? So, uh, actually an injury is what led up to my, uh, my opiate addiction. So I had, it was actually the fight that I, I was off. I was uh, given an opportunity to fight for, I was, if I beat the guy that they had from, from King of the Cage, he was doing very well, that they would give me a title shot. So, you know, uh, of course I, I took the fight. I remember showing up that night, the guy was, I, I remember seeing a guy and being like, who's fighting that dude? They were like, you are. I was like, there's no, what? You know, but you're just like, you start psyching yourself out, needless to say. But anyway, we got in. Uh, it was the, you know, I remember the cage door were locking behind me. The, my corner's not very, giving me very good advice at this point. They're just basically like, just don't let this guy hit you. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's going to kind of be hard to, hard to, uh, hard to do, but. <laughs> you know, you, you stay in your game. You're trying to stay focused. And and they were right. He hit me. And uh, to this day, I, I don't even – a moment of my life vanished from them for that right there. But I panicked. I, I shot in on him. I hit a double. And I tried to slam him. Um, my Really, my intentions being, in all honesty, were to slam him on his neck because if I could end this fight, he's not going to murder <laughs> me. You know? And, okay, I he, hear you. Yeah. So, uh, but when I did that, I landed very, I landed wrong. And at first I thought maybe I was having a heart attack. I didn't really know what was going on, but, uh, I, I, in the second round, I attempted, I laid on him the first round In the second round, I attempted to throw a jab and my arm came out of socket. And, oh, fuck. and, uh, so I, I ended up TKOing him via leg kicks. But uh, I had broken my shoulder. I got a bank heart fracture and a torn labrum. <sighs> so uh, that was my first major injury uh, and my first uh, experience with the opiate pain medication hmm. as well. Wow. And in all fairness, let's let's be honest. Uh, a shoulder. Uh, I'm I'm an anesthetist. So what is today, Wednesday? Yeah. Tomorrow, I'm going to work with a shoulder surgeon, and I'm sure we've got a banker lesion and a labrum to repair tomorrow. So it's actually mm -hmm. not an uncommon thing. And I know how bloody well it hurts. Okay, so that's what <laughs> yeah. I do for a living. So therefore, opiate pain medications are part and parcel of the treatment of such severe pain. Okay, let's be not absolutely. So the problem, of course, mm -hmm. is with us broken people or us people who who maybe don't have such great coping mechanisms. The the pain goes, but also the pain in your soul goes, and the suffering exactly. in your soul goes. Was that was mm -hmm. that your experience? Absolutely. That's that's always how I describe it. I, I the two things that 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 medication did for me. It took away my physical pain, but it took away the all the emotional pain that I had been burying deep. It, it, it gave me this like this sense, like my whole life I, I'd been riding a wave, and this is the first. It was like the first time that that I felt like the, like the waters had calmed, but at the same time I was yeah. energized, I was motivated, I was confident, yeah. I was I was I could. I felt like I could talk to the girls confidently, be myself. Like I feel like that was the real version of it, you know. And uh, 
That's interesting because alcohol did that for me. Exactly your okay, description. Yeah. So what did alcohol do for you in comparison with the opiates? Um, it didn't, it, I mean, if, you know, I, I think it had like a similar effect, but nothing, not, not what the opiates did. To it was the opiates, but I've heard that before. Yeah. And, but there, it was like, I'd been missing that piece of my brain the entire, my entire life. Yeah. Like I remember uh, thinking like, I can't believe that they've been keeping this from me. <laughs> like this was like, I remember calling my mom, like mom, this medication called Percocet. Uh, it's amazing. Have you ever heard of it? Like I was kind of yeah. naive to, to pills mostly at that time, yeah. you know, so as much as, as I, I thought I was knowledgeable, but I wasn't as knowledgeable as I thought. So. Oh, yeah. Percocet, uh, the, it's a, an American trademark for which truck? Can you remember what, what truck is Percocet? Uh, is it oxycodone. Oxycodone, cool. So, and it's yeah. immediate release form um, to as yeah. a quick fix. And and again, this is a truck that I routinely use in the post-op setting. And uh, so after surgery, and it works really well because it has advantages over morphine. So it's in its own right, it's actually a bloody good truck. The problem, oh, of course, is this must have been just at the start of the sort of second opioid uh, epidemic um, when oxycodone. When was the injury actually? Uh, at which in which year? I want to say two thousand and four. Yeah. Okay. So this yeah. must have been just sort of around the time when actually when it was peddled as the best thing since sliced bread, everyone should have it. Oxycodone should be in the drinking water, according to the pharma industry. Um, so it was very lousy, lousy and, and unethical uh, prescribing and things happening. Um, and yeah, oh, fuck, 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 fuck. But it's the, the way you describe it is really beautiful. Um, this, 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 oh, finding yourself in a different world, a world that is much kinder and much more peaceful, yet accelerated. Yeah. Uh, that's a beautiful mm. description, man. Um, so there's oxycodone. So normally doctors prescribe it in for such an injury, I would say three, six weeks uh, until the surgery happens and then maybe another two weeks and that's it. And then we get you mm. off it. How, why did you, or how did you stay on it? Uh, so... You know, one of the things I always uh, like, it, I always relate, especially my stories, is the the progression of the disease of addiction, right? So I actually, um, I was on it for a few months. I remember being like, I couldn't believe my doctor cut me off. I'm like, but I need it, like you know. And at the time, I didn't realize like that's that's called that's called medication pill seeking behavior. But I didn't realize it at the time, and and. Uh, you know, so I just basically, I found somebody on the street that could still get it for me. And uh, I did cut back on it. Actually, I did kind of was focused on winning that title. And, and so I was able to, to cut back, but I was never able to completely cut it out. Like it was something that I would look forward to every week. It was like a reward to myself. But there know? was no, there was no withdrawal uh, when you came there off it. Was. There was, and I, I was so naive. I, I had thought I had the flu. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I just, I, because I, I remember it like later in life when I really knew what withdrawal was. I, uh, 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 you know, so yeah. Interesting. Interesting. 
And for those of you listening out there, withdrawal is basically, uh, for the lack of a better word, it's a combination of the nastiest food poisoning you have had and the nastiest cold you have had. Put the two of mm. them together, that's pretty much covers it. Uh, you feel like crap. Uh, it's it's rarely lethal and fatal, but um, un- problem, uh, unfortunately, if you have underlying medical problems, then that can put you over the edge. But it's by no means an easy way to get through. And especially once you make the link that if I just have one oxycodone now, that is gone mm-hmm. away. So therefore, you've got that reinforcement. Oh, all that suffering, just give me another oxycodone or whatever it is uh, that comes mm-hmm. into the game. Bloody yeah. hell. And just for the for the word uh, opiates, opiates are is a is an umbrella term for morphine-like drugs, let's call them like that. And opiates are typically the the synthetic um, drugs, the drugs that don't come from plants. Um, So, and the opium was the original poppy seed plant. So just that we're talking the same same terms. So opiates, umbrella for everything that is underneath there, oxycodone, methadone, morphine, fentanyl, and all the other crap that is nowadays flooding the market. Cool. Mm -hmm. So coming back. So after all, this is so far a very much a story of a man who's going out there, giving it all, being a man um, and winning fights. And now you suddenly have got this new fight uh, of this this drug that makes you so feel so good. Yet Mm -hmm. people say you shouldn't really take it. And you think you what you must be mad. how did it continue from there? So you, you started sourcing drugs from the street. Um, mm. Did At that time, you might have even been lucky that you still got oxycodone without any adulterants. Um, but nowadays, God knows what kind of yeah. shit you get on the street. Man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But, so that was 2005, 2006. Um, how did the story continue? So... Uh, I've basically maintained for, you know, three or four years, just kind of like buying them here and there. I, uh, I was very focused on my career. I was focused on training. Um, I, I would party a lot, uh, but, you know, and I would, my party lifestyle was kind of, I always seemed to party a little bit harder than everybody else. Like they would even with like ecstasy and stuff, like they would take three or four hits. I'm like three or four. I need nine. You know what I mean? Like, I need to be in a total state where I don't even know what's happening around me, you know? And, and uh, so, so it kind of just started manifesting in like everything as it like began to progress, mm. you know? And uh, it wasn't until like 2000 and uh, I believe like 2009, 2010, I, I, uh, it, it, the game, it, it changed for me. The game changed for me. Like I began to, I, I had something happen in my life i lost a, my only source of part-time income that was a it was a full-time income part-time which was a personal training and and uh i began to use it that's when i turned to the opiates every single day mm. it became what, may, it was like that. Uh, may i ask why did you lose your yeah. your source of income so i i uh i, I was a pro i was a uh 1099 so i was a, a contractor for right. this gym um, I'd been with them for six, seven years. They supported me through my, uh, you know, my fighting career. And I, they allowed me, you know, to, to train my clients full time. I was, or I'm sorry, part time and, 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 you know, do that. And, and uh, one day they, uh, some other people bought into the company. They 
said they needed more money. I re-signed my clients. I signed a new non-compete and they decided to terminate my contract and had to bring another guy in that would trade work with my clients uh, for less money. Ah, fuck us. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was best. It was messed up. And again, yeah, betra- I mean, and again, betrayal again, the, mm-hmm. the ghosts yep. of the past are coming up because now the anger and resentment you've had, you've trained the anger and resentment well in the past and now it comes up and, and bites you in the bum again. Yeah. Uh, Betrayal is a trigger for me. And that's one of the things I've realized is is everything resorts back to that experience from when I was 15 years old. Exactly. And Uh, uh, so I begin to react in, in, in like a uniform fashion. Like I find I become angry, I become resentful, mm-hmm. and then I find solace in in, in a substance mm-hmm. or in some type of it, a substance, whether it's like a physical substance or drug or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, women, mm-hmm. I begin to get outside of myself mm-hmm. to say, you know. Man, I can so feel you. I can so see where that all came together, isn't it? It's just... Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was, that was 2008, 2009, 2010, global financial crisis, around about that time. Lots of people mm-hmm. were struggling. Um, and it was still a time in the opiate crisis when fentanyl had not yet hit the streets. No. So this only came about 2013, 2014. Um, mm-hmm. So what happened then? So you started using every day. Now yeah. that that becomes quite an expensive little hobby that you have got there. Where did the money it come does. from? Absolutely. Uh, I was I was making some money fighting. Uh, right. I was still like really. I began to like. I was trying to maintain a personal training. Like a guy said, he I could train clients at his gym, but I had to basically start over. Mm-hmm. So I was just. Uh, I was maintaining that way, borrowing money. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I actually found a doctor who would also uh, prescribe me whatever I wanted. Um, it was a it was a doctor here, uh, and I would it was cash pay. They had an on site pharmacy that was cash pay, and uh, basically he says, Daniel, what do you need to compete? And I said, uh, Yo, three hundred uh, Percocet tens would be great a month. He's like, I mean, that's like. That's ten a day, of course. Yeah, and and he was like, "Okay," and uh, prescribed it. So, oh, you are kidding me! Oh, yeah. Okay, of course he made nice money from it for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. But these are the the bad apples that completely have have stuffed up so many lives out there. Mm -hmm. And I justified it by saying I needed it to compete. Like that was how I justified it in my head. You know, out of interest, I need to do for more than that. Out of interest, doping. Um, did you use steroids or did you use other things to give you an advantage over your over your competitors? I not. I had dabbled uh, here and there, but it was something I I wanted to fight at a lower weight. So uh, I always felt like for me it was going to be counterproductive to my ultimate goal. Sure. So I had used them. Uh, Usually, I really, I used them in like the early 2000s. And it was more of just like pressure, like as other people were doing it. But I didn't really have like it, that great of an experience on those. Uh, so mm. that wasn't really a, 
I did mm. do some human growth hormone though for mm. a few years for a while mm. when I was eating just for my joints and mm. And in all fairness, I mean, it is all of these things, of course, give you an advantage. They also can help you to feel better and and to to be more of a man, because that was your goal. You were the fighter. You were the, you wanted to be the winner. You wanted to be up there, that uh, on the top, and for that you were willing to do anything, as as you have proven to yourself. But actually, mm. you you package it nicely. Yes, of course, I want to be the winner. I do whatever it takes. And yeah, okay. And if that means that you're actually using 30 uh, or 10 Percocet a day, um, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So there you were. Were you still winning or were the opiates I'm, starting to interfere with your actually, with your capability of being in the ring? They, they weren't really. Uh, by the time they, so my last fight I actually had, I was the main event at a show in, uh, Indiana, which is a state next to uh, a few hours away where, where it was. It stayed uh, in our tri-state. But um, and uh, I snorted uh, two Percocet 30s off the back of the toilet while they were calling my name because I knew by the time I walked out oh. and got in the cage, the drip, if anybody knows, if, uh, the drip, which is like the, the, you know, the back of your throat, the feeling in the back of your throat would be where I wanted it to be when the fight when the bell would ring, you know, and I actually did really well that fight. The guy, I don't even think the guy hit me. Um, but now after that, I began to, to, that's when around that same time was when I was introduced to heroin. Uh And that's when it really, that's when my fighting completely was affected. Absolutely. Why heroin? What was the temptation? Money. I actually got cut. The the doctor actually uh, cut me off. Which I don't know why, you know, I guess I I tried to fill another prescription too close, and they were probably already under a microscope, and they told me I couldn't return. So uh, I'm sure there was some crisis, you know, something going else going on behind. Sure, sure. There was, you know, they it's just logical. didn't want to have, they didn't want to get in trouble. So yeah. So um I I remember being like, you know, then that's when like money started really becoming an issue. Like I couldn't, you know, now I can't. Now there's three, four, five times as much on the street for the amount that I'm using, sure. and I can't afford it. But my guys got heroin. I was like, absolutely not, man. I am not. A, I am not a heroin addict. He said, this is the same thing, and you twenty dollars will get you through the whole day. Twenty dollars versus one hundred and fifty or whatever mm. you know the pills would have cost. And I'm like, I was left with a decision: like, do I? Am I sick? Because at this point, I knew what withdrawal was. I knew what dope mm. sickness was. Do I, am I sick and not train, not do all this stuff, not, not try to work and not try to live a normal life? Mm. Uh, or do I spend $20 on this heroin mm. and uh, go on? How did you take it, brother? Did you shoot up or did you, uh, did you snort it or what did you do? So I started off snorting it, um, you know, with, with, with the pills as well. I snorted a majority of those too. Yeah. So I was... It was kind of just uh, snorting it. I, I, uh, I began to mix it with bath salts. I don't know if anybody's familiar with bath salts. Uh-huh. So there was, it was basically like, like synthetic meth that they sold at the gas station. It eventually became illegal, mm. rightfully so. Um, but I would snort it. Uh, eventually, I did turn to the needle, though. 
was one of those things that I said I would never do. I, I would never put a needle in my arm. I am an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I have come, I've worked too hard. I've mm-hmm. all these other things, but it did none of it really mattered in the end, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, within a matter of a few years, I, I put that needle on me. And, and again, that's a uh, dangerous, slippery slope because you have used the needle for the growth hormone. Uh, you used, um, you know, you, you, it, mm-hmm. once you do it once for whatever reason, it makes it actually quite easy to do it down the line mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. very slippery slope. Um, and so when did you start using heroin? That was 2015? Do I get the, uh, actually, no, the numbers? I started using heroin in 2010 or so. 2010, sorry. Yeah. 2010. Um, mm-hmm. There you go. No, and that was still uh, at that time, yeah, China, well, the, the, the heroin itself was, whilst it was cut, it was still cut with crap that doesn't really harm you too much. Um, mm-hmm. And so did you have any, any near escapes then? Um, did you ever overdose? I actually, uh, I, I was having an overdose. I'd been up partying all night. I, uh, was that I was still like, it was kind of like a transition with the heroin. So if it was like pills, pills and heroin, and then, uh, you know, then heroin, but I had a back in like, believe it was around 2010 i had a championship fight um i partied really hard i was uh <laughs> hanging out with this girl um and uh i i don't remember what happened but she was left un- very upset and um i was waking up on my couch choking on my puke and i couldn't stay awake and i eventually crawled to my kitchen where i had a roll of duct tape and i duct taped my arm to the faucet so i would hang like this and would not continue to fall back and die choking on my puke. And I never told any about that, anybody about that for years, because I remember thinking like, I, nobody can ever know about this, mm. you know? Um, and it, I never saw it as I, I thought I was going to die that day, but I never told a soul for years, but that was, I believe my first, uh, my first overdose or while I was overdosing. Fuck man. Um, (laughs) did okay wow did you at that time i mean this must have been scary this must have rattled you um did you consider seeking help at that time did that ever cross your mind or was the addiction so beautifully powerful uh, not at that time Hmm. what about that girl yeah i didn't think i was addicted (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's right well that's that's what it is is so denial strange, right? oh denial is yes, part and parcel of our journey oh fuck. straight denial so that girl stop whatever that girl yeah. obviously observed you at your worst um was she just a fleeting i don't know acquisition or did she yeah. actually did she try to help you no i don't i don't remember i don't think she ever talked i don't think that girl ever talked to me again right um Maybe afterwards for a little bit, yeah. But that's when things really started spiraling for me, uh, mixing the speed with it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had my last fight in 2012. Um, by then, I was uh, full blown into addiction. 60 pa- 160 pounds, trying to fight it once a 170 pound weight class. Uh, I, I I remember people asking me like, "Are you okay?" And me being like, "I'm in the best shape of my life." Like, just uh, 
you know, because I'm not eating food. I'm not. So I think I'm looking good. It was, I was lost in a delusion of, of, of addiction at that point. And it, it's just spiraled from there. Mm. You know, I, I, I went for help to a hospital. The first time I went for help, I went to a hospital. I went to, uh, uh, a, a previous uh i went to uc medical center which was our biggest hospital i didn't really know where else to go i thought oh god thank god they can help me and uh they basically uh told me that you know and at this time this was actually pretty common in our medical system was we don't do that here you know if we're not filling a bed for somebody addicted to heroin mm-hmm. if we put everybody in a bed that was addicted to heroin would have any beds, you know what I mean? And whatever, however she explained it, but it was real defeating. I do remember that. And it, you turn, you turn someone in addiction or alcoholism away once that you just gave them the justification that their addiction needed. And that's what it needed. And and it, nobody's going to help me. And I didn't know where else to turn. And Oh, yeah. We see we see the same with women that have been raped or, or abused, mm-hmm. and they come out, and then someone says, "I don't believe you." It's the same betrayal. It's the same again. Back to the theme when mm-hmm. you were fifteen. It's again betrayal yeah. deep down. You finally mm-hmm. you finally made the biggest the biggest step in your life. All these title fights, forget them. The biggest step for you was actually mm-hmm. that you decided to seek help, and then they yeah. were sort of nah, okay forget about it um yeah and that's brutal that's brutal it, it was it was it was it was one of the lowest moments because it took me it was really hard for me to say i have a problem uh-huh. i can't stop i'm losing everything i'm gonna die i don't want to lose actually i was with a woman at, at that time this is this was 2012 or so it was the different i mean i really liked this girl and yeah. uh she fell into addiction with me. And I was like, I don't want to lose you. I want to marry you. We need help. Let's go to the hospital. And then, you know, we, we both end up returning home. Shit. Okay, man. How did it continue? It just, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, all of a sudden before I knew it, my, my, the thing that I was most passionate about the sport of, of mixed martial arts and, and combat sports really like, became irrelevant almost in my life except for reputation so i just i I started withdrawing from people that i had been friends with uh and and i started driving for drug dealers i started running dope i started collecting money uh and you know falling into that lifestyle and uh, i I mean, I overdosed uh, in 2012 to the point where I had to be taken to the hospital. It was my first hospital visit for an overdose. What and it was? What led to it? Was uh, it? I sorry, you I first. was living in a hotel. Yeah, and um, I I've been doing some speed, and and I ended up. Uh, getting a free sample they call it you know the, uh, getting a tester is what they call it the dope boy drops you off a tester here try my stuff get my dope and mm. it was uh it was very strong and it put me it put me out I, they couldn't wake me up they realized i couldn't wake me up and i was changing colors so they called 911 sure. and back then narcan wasn't it like readily available mm. Mm. so you know the emts they 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 gave me the narcan rushed me to the hospital and i almost died mm. for the first time 
And that's the problem, of course, when you go onto the street and when you get whatever you call it that you got, let's say you stick with heroin and you get your heroin, you have no idea how it is cut because every dealer, every every boss dealer and little dealer and the, the distributor, everyone cuts. And in the past, mm. they were actually making it weaker and weaker and weaker because the fentanyl, uh, the, uh, the heroin uh, was the expensive ingredient and the talcum powder or whatever else they mixed in um, that was, you know, that was cheaper. Um, yeah. But then, unfortunately, uh, or at that time, it, to get an overdose, sometimes if you get something that is less cut, that is a higher purity, wow, then you actually get far more bang for the buck, literally. And that's yeah. one way of getting an opiate overdose. And I think that yeah. that was that was the fate of so many uh, opiate users over the years. Yeah. But then 2012, 2013, 2014, life changed. Yeah. I've, had, I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Ben Westhoff, he wrote Fentanyl Inc. Uh, and he researched four years of his life. He researched the Chinese and, and Mexican links that led to the fentanyl uh, being so readily available. And when I say fentanyl, fentanyl is, is only one drug. You're talking about new psychedelic substances that are created in labs uh, in a in the most prolific way and people are just creating carfentanyl and they just take the fentanyl molecule and say ah oh, we put a little ch3 on there and therefore it's no longer fentanyl therefore it's no longer um illegal to be made in china therefore we can just produce a few tons of it and sell it for a thousand dollars a kilo or not a kilogram thousand dollars for a small package like that which you can hide mm. perfectly well in virtually anything so therefore you know it became so much more difficult for mm -hmm. law enforcement agencies to actually um, find all that information, find those drugs, etc. So we are talking some nasty change that is happening mm. right now. It started around yeah. about that time of your mm. first nasty overdose. When yeah. did you when did you realize that the game was changing? Um, you were so far doing meth, uh, methamphetamines, and you were doing the heroin. Um, mm -hmm. When did you feel things were changing? Uh, so I remember going in, uh, buying, um, I remember meeting my dealer one morning and he, uh, I, I, I run to his car. I give him, my, they give him the money that me and, uh, the girl I was with at the time had collected, you know, the day before trying to stay one day ahead. And, and I get back to the car and I open up the paper that he put it in and it was pure white, like almost looked like crack cocaine, but not mm. crack cocaine. And mm. I was like, what? What is this? I remember losing my mind. Like, I can't believe that we just got fleeced or we, you know, we just got, he got us. He got us. I called him and I'm like, dude, what is this upset? And he's like, trust me, trust me. That's what's coming. That's, that's the new thing. That's what's coming. That's he's like, look, if you do it and you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. But I know that's not going to happen. He's like, do it somewhere safe. Like, in, or, you know, something along those lines, like, I hope you don't like, don't die on me. Mm. and laughed and you know you hear that before and as an active and being an active addiction you wanted to seek out the stuff that was going to kill you like that's what you want you want to be borderline you want to be like 
that's what you want. You'd rather have the stuff that's killed the killed someone or than the stuff that's not going to get you where you want to be. So it's like, you know, it's a risk you just naturally take. And I remember doing it and waking up like just completely like a new high. Like, oh my God, that is the best. Like, I feel amazing. Even though my head was on my steering wheel, mm. that's the that's what you as an opiate addict eventually get to is the the nod off the you know and um from that day forth that's what I looked for that's what I wanted. Mm. There was no longer heroin, and it, it, it and it takes you to new depths because the thing about fentanyl is the high is more intense, it's more addictive, but it la- but it doesn't last as long. Mm. So. That's you fair. could you need it within three four hours mm. so you need more so in order to mm. get more when when you've already are an established uh you know uh, like <laughs> there's you know you're a rec- you're recognized as a drug addict you're what you're wearing the uniform you you're showing the signs you're unhealthy you know i don't know how to say this without saying like a something too like uh you know uh politically incorrect so i i uh <laughs> no no, no you're swearing. you're honest man you're honest you're honest that is that is the reality why do we beat around yeah. the bush so i'm, I'm so yeah. grateful that you actually uh, say it as it was and as yeah. it is for so many people out there yeah yeah and i and it it, it was just so i i had to go to new lows to get money yeah. you know i think i think me and me and her both did i mean you start to uh <laughs> One of the things a lot of people don't get as well is 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 drug addicts or people with substance use disorder are are trafficked. We are we are used for our vehicles. We're used for our connections. Where drug dealers will tell us they won't give us the dope that we need unless we do something for them. So it's like I'll give my give my boy a ride uh, to you know, to the next city up and back mm. and you got to figure out the gas or you just won't get well today. We're not, mm. you, you know, you're going to be sitting at home and withdrawal. Mm. So um, they talk to you any way you want. So you begin to let people do things to you that you, that's, that are, you wouldn't normally even think you'd ever do, you know, even as a man, I experienced a lot of things, you know, and I know the women experience more, but it, you know, they talk to you like garbage. They treat you like trash. You know, they'll leave you out in the rain like a dog. And you have, you, but you're such a slave that mm. it doesn't matter anymore. Like all you care about is that next one, literally, to the point where uh, you're hoping it's the last. Mm. And that's what kind of where I, I, I actually was stabbed. Um, I had a, a guy attack me in a hallway of a one of the trap houses in Cincinnati, and he was standing in one of the hallway with a knife. I looked back up at the drug dealer's door. I heard it lock. Uh, I knew there was no, there was only one way out of this situation. It was to go forward. And, uh, you know, I, I fought for my life. I was stabbed twice. Uh, I got away. I got home. I still have my dope. Uh, and as I'm bleeding out, I'm doing a shot before I'll let anyone call an ambulance. You know, what did I got to get it in. Why did the, the guy try to kill you? I really don't know. Was he on Honestly. meth? You know? uh, I think, yeah, I think he was, it was a, I think he was going to try to rob, he was trying to rob me. Um, no. You know, what's really strange about that event is 
I don't remember his face. Like, I don't remember, I could not tell you who it was. I don't remember much, much about him, except he was taller than me and I'd seen him around the neighborhood. But to try to place his face after that event, it just like disappeared out of my mind. Um, but I believe it was, he was trying to rob me for the drugs mm. that I just copped or mm. thought that I was, mm. I had been a part of something else. I mm. never really got, I never saw him again. Shit. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Then the stabbing, how bad was it? Uh, I had to get uh, 19 staples mm -hmm. in two places. Okay. So, so basically you were lucky enough or your skills from the ring were still strong enough to actually protect mm -hmm. you and prevented the knife going deeper and cutting yeah. you in places where there's no more return. It would have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah it would have exactly. been a lot worse. I, well, exactly. I, I did get the knife away from him, but he was bigger than me, and mm. he basically he got me on my on my left side of my body. Uh, when I try, I try to put my hands in his el in his in his biceps, which is how you control the arms. Mm. And, and uh, uh, he was able to wrap it around, and it wasn't. It was the second one that really knocked the wind out of me. The first one was just like, oh, I've been stabbed. The second one, it was like. Of being hit with a bat on my side um but it didn't hit anything vital mm. it was it, they i got very lucky they were like you're very lucky mm. when i was, was about to say yeah. yeah they're like they're like really literally was like millimeters away from my my lungs and my heart from mm. my from my side mm. um you know so i got i got really lucky was that the wake-up call you needed or was that just one no. of these these times it was one of those times man that was the you know that was the street life you know mm -hmm. that that was uh i'd been you know invested in, in and out of the street life most of my life and and i'd also i just come to terms of this is i'm this is where i will always end back up is in these mm -hmm. streets you know one way or another i, I i'm destined for failure I'm destined for the street life. You know, that was. <laughs> oh, that's the bullshit yeah. that we make up in our mind, yeah. isn't it? That's the message. Yeah. See, I told you so. I'm not yeah. worth it. So bring me exactly. the vodka. But in my case, the vodka. See, oh, please. Far out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I used to say, I think it's Motley Crue. They had this, uh, this quote, and I used to like live by it. So it was like, if you, if you want to live life on your own terms, you got to be willing to crash and burn. And I was like, well, that makes it sound cool. You know what I mean? Even though it was, it was not, it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah. you know, I just, I just became content with this is how my story ends. I think, you know, at some point I was, I didn't think I was strong enough to come back from something mm. like this. I actually didn't think people ever came back from that. Mm. Mm. And again, a lie that, our mind, our addicted mind tells us, um, mm -hmm. you might as well give up now, you will always be an addict. A, that means you don't have to go withdrawal, you don't have to deal with your negative emotions, you don't have to deal with any kind of all that shit that happened to you in the past, you don't have to face shame, guilt or whatsoever, you can still escape into that nebulous world of, of uh, I need it, oh now I have it and now I'm passing out. Um, it is oh yeah so it's almost just like you know once you do it you're gonna have 
this moment, like uh, everything's going to be okay for a moment. Uh, like even though you know it's all bad and it's all going to come right back you, uh, you live for that moment uh, that you exactly. won't be there yeah but also people don't understand that 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 yeah. our drugs and our alcohol comes to a level of need that is equivalent to breathing to water to food yeah. it's the same level our reward system and our memory system in the brain has been so so skewed therefore the disease of addiction that is what it is it's a medical disease that affects those reward systems and memory systems damn so they they tell you all those lies they tell you all those those weird thoughts that with hindsight you just say how can i be so stupid but that is only yeah. afterwards then when you're in it it makes perfect sense to you Yeah. Yep. And then all the, everything you do during it, you, you know, you steal from your family. You, mm. you lie to loved ones. You, you, I mean, you just, you put every, that every, that comes before everything. And, and I think one of the things that a lot of people don't talk about is we get so hardened. We feel every bit of that pain. They're like, don't uh, you feel bad? I'll be like, no, but boy, do I feel bad. Of course. You know what I mean? Of course. Like, boy, yeah. That's why I'm continuing to punish myself because exactly. I think I'm a piece of garbage. And exactly. you're just like, but I can't show you that because then I'm weak. Then I'm, then, you know, I'm, I'm showing weakness and I can't do that with this. Like, I can't, like, I can't do that because then I might lose it all, you know? And Oh, brother, it is, you're talking out of my soul. This is exactly <laughs> how I felt. And it is so bizarre to hear my words coming out of your mouth. That is spooky, <laughs> honestly. And it just shows how weird this addiction is because mm -hmm. it, it affects everyone or many people out there, not everyone, one in three have got mm -hmm. chemical addiction. Um, and it, it affects us and we come from all walks of life. We've got all kinds of backgrounds. Our skin is all kinds of colors. Our religious beliefs are all over the show. There's, you know, we've got various imaginary friends out there. It doesn't matter who you believe in. Um, but here you are, once you're in a disaddiction, wow, it's the same, the same things playing out and playing out mm -hmm. until one day enough is enough. So yeah. you had you had so many potential wake-up calls but you were not ready to hear the to hear the you press snooze continuously yeah. with those wake-up calls so yeah. so what finally broke through what was so, the final catalyst yeah so just like to, to just piggyback off that before I, before i get to that like mm -hmm. i was it was imagining life it was if to imagine life without a needle and a spoon anymore Yeah. was scary it was scarier huh. than continuing yeah right so i had a my my dad god bless his soul my dad is an amazing man he never he he boy did he say he was giving up on me and not call him but he always answered that phone and he and he always continued to to come through and and i'm you know but he i remember him saying like son i want you to get help so bad i'll give you 40 dollars if you will go get an assessment done and i'm like i need 40 dollars so I went and got the assessment. They recommended I go to treatment. My dad said he would, uh, that I had so many days to go to treatment. It, it, within that time, he would give me, give me a hotel room. He got me the hotel room. The time came. I went to the treatment center, left. It was that next day that I, something hit me. And it was so strange because you would think I would ask myself this question many times before. 
but it was like, I looked around this hotel room. There's blood splattered on the walls for us cleaning our syringes. There's alcohol bottles everywhere. It smells. It's awful. There's a girl. There's two prostitutes that were my, they were, they were my friends, but they were sitting on this bed covered in bruises, 30 feet. And I'm just like, what happened to my life? seven years later, right? Eight years later, what happened? And I broke down. I called the treatment center I had just left. And the lady on the other end of the phone, she showed me something that I don't know if anybody ever had showed me this or not, but she's, she said a few simple words. Uh, she said, baby, it's going to be okay. And what she did was show me compassion. Instead of saying, you made a mistake, you messed up, you fucked up your life, you, it's going to be okay. And that just, I remember it was like, it hit my, hit my heart. Like, and I held on to that. That little seed had been planted. That little seed of hope, of compassion had been planted. How beautiful is that? Same story here. It is, I've expected. When my wife told me that she had enrolled me into a rehab facility, um, I, if she had been angry and, and any kind of other emotion um, that morning, I would have fought her. I would have gone in anger, resentment, and again, I know I have got no problem. Ha ha. And instead, they, my kids and my wife came in and showed me exactly that compassion and that completely disarmed me and it completely mm -hmm. it completely made me realize it's okay to not fight it's okay to give in this compassion is huge and that's why i loved my rehab so much because it was full of compassion it was full of bullshitters which i could not bullshit they were all addicts but just mm. many many more years down the line than i was <laughs> and ah oh god the boss of the of the the rehab he i love him to bits uh he is uh, he looks worn out and he looks probably <laughs> i don't know many years older <laughs> than he should because he lived a life that left many scars on, on him. But I loved him to bits. He was such a, a cool dude who called a spade a spade. And it 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 was like us talking so honest about it, about a disease where we are hiding constantly the hiding that was in my life. You must been must have been the same. You, you constantly yeah. Uh, hit that you were using, you hit your paraphernalia, you hit that you were were high, you hit that you were that you were having a withdrawal. God, so much hiding. Oh, yeah. God. man. We so, think, or at least we think we're hiding. Oh, right? true, <laughs> true. Good, yeah. good. We think we're hiding. Oh yeah. People know. <laughs> people are like, people are like, you're on. You like, I when I got sober, they're like, you were on. Like I was just like, yeah, did you know? I was like, I was shooting dope. They're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I was like such, it's such a shock, <laughs> you know, that people would knew that you were on a road to death. It's unreal, so. Isn't that? And that it's unreal that we don't realize that everyone else <laughs> yeah. knows, is yeah. that that's unreal, really. My yeah. goodness. So 
that treatment center, did you go as an inpatient there? Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, I had to do it. I went inpatient, uh, seven-day detox, nice. and a 30-day residential. Nice, mm -hmm. nice, nice, nice. Yeah. How was the detox? Did they help you with medications? Uh, yes, yeah, it was medical detox. Nice. Uh, it was it was a state run treatment center, but mm. it, it, I think the place is amazing. I, I you know I still go back there every as much as I can, almost every week. And uh, beautiful. And um, yeah, they, they 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 you know compassionate staff. It was they make you as comfortable as you can be. I I was going through it this mm. that time. The fentanyl withdrawal was unreal. It was it was unreal. Mm. And again, this is a time that you need all the love and all the understanding. And, and I, I'm so blessed. I never had a full-blown delirium or anything like that, but certainly my blood pressure in, in that week, during that week was through the roof. Um, so there was, a, I had mild forms of withdrawal that I, you know, I had hangovers that were worse. Let's put it like that. Um, but equally, I can't remember so much from that first week. So mm here, -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting one. Um, bloody hell. So now it is, I mean, that again, for you to actually go through and now, and, and again, this is one of the biggest achievements that I can see in your life that you mm -hmm. accepted that this, that there was, that you could not continue the way you did and that you then accepted that there is hope out there contrary mm -hmm. to the lies that the addiction told you and that you yeah. then took action to seek that hope and for that your dad he needs a, the biggest bear hug um <laughs> in the world for him to still keep keep there and keep supporting you this is yeah. this is gorgeous this is gorgeous and then suddenly you were on this new journey bloody hell yeah when yeah. was that when was the rehab when was the detox when was your last day uh, of using november 1st of 2016 cool wow yeah it's coming up to to six years now well two five and a half yeah yes yeah close five years i have five years three or three months four months yeah, yeah. after five years i just like life i mean life is happening now it's like, oh beautiful you know it's it's amazing so how was the first year how was, I, I assume that you had a similar experience, the way you speak, you had a similar experience as I, a very nice protective bubble for 30 days um, where mm -hmm. they help you, where they work, start working with you and you're in this beautiful, yeah, protection and it's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, but then, then you have to leave. <laughs> yeah. How did that go? <laughs> um. So I, I, I remember kind of even, I was still kind of fighting the idea of like going to a transitional living yeah. and I realized I had nowhere else to go. So yeah. I went to a transitional living house, sober living house. And, uh, I was there for three months. Uh, one of the greatest, uh, times of, you know, of early recovery, <clears throat> especially like when it's, uh, you know, I know from my experience, like it was such a beautiful process. Uh. It was like, for people are like being your friend and i was like what why do you want to be my friend like, you know what i'm saying like i remember talking to one guy man and, and he, he ended up being my best friend uh for years he ended up he ended up dying from this disease but i remember him calling me and complaining about somebody else and i remember being like confused like does this mean that this dude's my friend like i'd for completely forgotten how friendships work 
Like, am I supposed to give him advice or it was, it was so strange. I had completely lost all sense of like value in myself or value in the relationships that I can have with other people. You know, it's either you want something from me, I want something from you. So that was really, but the recovery housing allowed me a safe place to, to explore that and mm. find that again, you know. Beautiful. And then trying to find a job. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> How did that go? So uh, my first job I got uh, fired from for threatening my, threatening my manager. I thought it was a good idea. It was not a good idea. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, he was just like on me. And I, I thought, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to check him after work. And like, I'm going to have a job after that. Like, I don't, I should have definitely consulted with like my sponsor or somebody oh. prior to that. But yeah, yeah it wasn't good. Uh, but, but I ended up getting a job. But uh, no, don't, don't be, don't be surprised, man. You have yeah. lived the life of a fighter. Fighting mm -hmm. was your go-to anger resentment was your go-to are you yeah. surprised that in in that case things were got a little bit uh heated and the fighter came out so this yeah. is how can you how can you be surprised uh, if if something that worked for you for 20 years is so deeply ingrained no surprise that 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 comes out yeah. uh, the next time yeah. that there is a a bad email sent your way or whatever it is completely completely out of proportion to mm. what what is happening but that the betrayal is triggered the the your triggers are fully bing 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 and there you are bang the old guy is back yeah, yeah. Uh. so you know and i didn't have much self-control at that point i was still huh. trying to find what my like what i you know being on living on the streets i mean i was yeah. on the streets for four years it was breaking that street mentality is one of the was one of the hardest things to do you know but it was necessary in order for me to be successful in long-term recovery mm -hmm. and become a, a professional whatever that was going to end up being i never imagined i'd be where i am today and have done the things that i have but you know yeah. so i ended up as a bouncer for my first like long-term job in recovery was a bouncer which is kind of taboo for the recovery community, but uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I did never drank. I didn't pick up and, and, uh, but I was able to, you know, yes, live. So exactly. Exactly. Sometimes a man has got to do what a man has got to do. Um, and especially mm -hmm. when you start picking yourself up out of, out of the ashes where you just burned or the Phoenix must rise and you don't look pretty when you're coming out of the ashes. There's no doubt about that. But then you you got stronger. What helped you? What helped you on that path where, I mean, in 30 days, there is a lot of healing you can do. Yet when you look back, it's only the tiniest first step on this lifelong <laughs> journey. So yeah. how did that journey continue? So, uh, you know, I, I, I got uh, involved in a 12-step program. Yeah. Uh, that helped me a lot because it, helped me identify the things that i mean if you would have asked me at, at, at that time like well how'd you get here i would have said well i had an injury and then i did opiates and blah 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 and but but what that allowed me to do was no it started when i was a kid uh -huh. when i was you know with with behavior issues and then being falsely accused and and taking that and never addressing it mm. and letting that the that trigger me to the point to where 
mm-hmm. became un- unidentifiable unless I would have known it. It's like, you know what I mean? Like, so it was identifying like my unmanageability of my life, my, mm-hmm. my inability so to have a, a, a relationship with a woman, my, the, my reactions, my pride, my, my ego, like what all these things I, <laughs> it really like laid that groundwork for me to be able to, to, to work on it. So that was, you know, the first contributing factor. Mm. No, brilliant. And just that breakthrough. So uh, exactly same thing here. But for me, it took probably years to make those links. And it was the Mm -hmm. ongoing, the ongoing uh, willingness to address one trauma after the other until slowly but surely a picture started emerging. And I think that Mm -hmm. picture of my past and what led to what, I think I'm still putting the puzzle pieces together. Um, I I think I got an idea now, but there is still the missing links, missing pieces. And um, I I actually like that. And I hate it at the same time. I'm a guy who wants to finish a project. And this is the never-ending story that we're doing here. And it's just, yeah. it just pisses you off a little bit. But at the same token, yeah. it's a privilege that yeah. we addicts have. Once you're on this journey, you've got a privilege to continue living, which is not a given. Um, mm. It's You have the privilege of being able to ask the right questions. And with that, to become the new you, whoever that person is. And to a certain degree, you can you can change your story. You are no longer the victim. You are now the man who writes the next chapter. And that's what you are going out there to do. That's where you are, where you have found your voice. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting. When did you realize that you are not a piece of shit, that you are (laughs) not a victim, that you are actually, that your story could make sense and give hope to others how did that breakthrough Uh, happen i'd say uh i always kind of people were always somewhat drawn to me even when i only had a few months it was like people were drawn to me uh almost in like a uh like a leadership type position like you know what i mean it seemed like people were always coming to me asking for help or people felt comfortable talking with me and i never didn't recognize it but you know, after some time had passed, um, I had given about what, what a year and 18, I think it was, I had, I was just shy of two years uh, in recovery. And I was given an opportunity to volunteer at the same hospital that I was a patient uh, at. Nice. Multiple, multiple times. The same <laughs> hospital that turned me away that I had gone to for help. I was now being given an opportunity. <laughs> it was kind of an undercover opportunity. I was approved to be there, but they weren't didn't tell anybody who I was or why I was there. I was walking around with a counselor or with a uh, like a, a medical student or somebody or and when patients would have substance use disorder, I would go in there and uh be basically just their peer uh but at the same time, I realized I like the look on someone's face when you say, hey, look, man, it, you're, you, it's okay. I'm in recovery. I uh, get it. You know what I mean? Uh, to see the relief was something that was even shocking to me. 
I remember after my first day as a volunteer, seeing a grown man go from withdrawn, I'm not talking to y'all about anything, I went out of this hospital, to being in tears, was, I was like, there's something special here. Isn't it? This is what I'm meant for right here. Isn't it? Wow. Wow. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, it's and that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Suddenly mm-hmm. your own your own suffering makes sense. Suddenly there's yeah. a new a new identity that you're building up by actually yeah. saying, "Wow, a it doesn't hurt me when I talk about my experiences. B I actually can put a smile or." tears in someone's face it doesn't matter what reaction you yeah. got they're probably the right reactions did you ever have did you ever have uh any any hesitation about it did you ever feel that oh my god um what will people think if i speak the truth uh i did i so i've had a few news stories done on me and some other media and stuff and uh the first news story i got i did it was like a Treatment. They called me and they were like, "Hey, we want to do a story on a uh, on you uh, as an MMA fighter who fell into heroin addiction." And I was on the treadmill at the gym, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great." They were like, "We'll be at your house in an hour," uh. and I was like, <laughs> "Okay." So I I didn't really process it, but I remember when that story aired, being terrified uh. and holding. I had just had my daughter, and I was uh. like holding my daughter, watching this news story, crying because I'm like everybody's going to know and people are going to be like, look at what you did to your life. Look at you uh, as a failure. And that was, I got, it was the complete opposite. Exactly. Complete opposite. Exactly. You know? That's the crazy so, thing, isn't it? It's the beautiful yeah. thing. That's uh, many times my peers, other, other doctors, my GP, my family physician, when I, when I wrote my book here, out of here, um, my steps of sobriety here. Um, and I gave him a copy of it, of the first version. He sort of looked at it and said, wow, um, are you not afraid what your patients think of you? And by that time, I had already clicked onto the fact that no, there was, I never had a negative reaction to me speaking out and saying to someone, you know, uh, I can see what's happening in your life. You know, it is, it's, I've been there too. And you're saying you drink two glasses of wine in the evening. Look, is there ever such a thing like leftover wine? And then we both laugh and uh, no. And then uh, of course you, you from now and then open another bottle. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. See, I've lived that life too. And, and et cetera. And the moment, the moment I give them a card and say, here, this is my show. And this is my website. So if you want to have a look at it, you know, it's, it's just feel free. I mean, I've never, ever, ever heard something negative. So that's the beautiful thing. So all that shame and guilt that potentially is in your head, that those, those terrifying moments with your daughter in your arms, they are in your head. They are just yeah, in your that- bloody head. And in reality... Yeah. This was your making. This was you speaking out and you finding your voice. You becoming that mm-hmm. new you who is mm-hmm. who is out there to make the world a little bit better by speaking about his yeah. his experiences. Wow. Yeah. Because it's because it's not the story of a victim, it's no. the story of a survivor, right? Exactly. You know, and survivors, and one of the things I always say whenever I whenever I give whenever I talk or whatever I I give speeches is, is I, I say that a lot. Like 
like be, you know, we, some of us have been victims of some awful things, but we are now survivors because we survived it. And survivors have voice. Survivors have survivors walk around proud of their experience because it gives hope to others. And within that hope, that's how we begin to heal. When I see somebody gain hope through me sharing uh, a story Mm. Or sharing something traumatizing for me, but now we have a bond, mm. and that bond is 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 life to them. This is this is the bond that would can bring them back from the darkness. Mm. I believe I, I begin to think like you know what I experienced what I did and I survived it for this moment. Mm. Beautiful, because you know, this person's life is precious and they deserve what I have found. <laughs> oh man, I could not agree more. This is this is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why you are doing what you're doing. We are both on a mission to make this world a little bit better, one interview at a time, one book at a time, one intervention at a time. And it's absolutely mm -hmm. bloody gorgeous. I wouldn't have it any yeah. other way nowadays. Wow. Man, if people, people really like your story and they want to know more about you, where can they find you? Um, so I'm... Uh... I'm on um, my main platform I utilize is, has been Facebook. Mm. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, uh, Facebook slash Dan Weapon mm. um, or, or Inspiring Recovery with Daniel Ritchie. It's also YouTube on, on YouTube as well. Mm. And uh, if you Google uh, Daniel Ritchie MMA, a lot of things come up as well. <laughs> so, uh, You know, there's, 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 there's two Daniel Richies that are, that are on YouTube. So mm. you'll know which one I am. So, <laughs> but the other guy, the other guy's great. He just doesn't, he doesn't have any arms. So, ah, right, uh, right, right, right. People are always mixing, like tagging us and stuff. So we've actually spoken before. Excellent. You know, Yeah, so Very he'll be excellent. like, you took, you're looking for the Daniel Ritchie with arms, or like, you know, so he <laughs> jokes about it as well, so it's, it's pretty cool. Priceless, you know? priceless. Yeah. Well, the same happened to me. There was a Stefan Neff out there who is actually an addict, who is an alcoholic, and who is in Canada and is having his own platform to actually help people with smart recovery. So therefore, I had him on my show. Stefan Neff is talking to Stefan Neff. And it's <laughs> That's awesome. His, <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah, that is cool. Oh, man. Yeah. Daniel, thank you so much for your time, for your effort, for your passion, and to, for your honesty, for your authenticity. Yeah. There's so many words that would describe the new you uh, to the point. And you're an amazing man. Uh, you have come so far. And with that, I don't mean the MMA uh, mm -hmm. titles. Yeah. I mean, really, your transformation from yeah. that betrayed 15-year-old to now a man who's going out there and who is taking extreme ownership of his decisions, of his life, who's taking yeah. actions every day to make his life just that little bit better than yesterday. And that is Absolutely. the hardest and the most beautiful journey you could be on. Man, uh, I'm I'm a fan of you. I'm 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 proud to call you brother um, because we are in this brotherhood of, of survivors of addiction. We're in this brother and sisterhood. So I'm not excluding the girls. No, we are yeah. all uh, we don't have a secret handshake, but I guess we should. Because the moment you say you're in recovery, it's it's like a secret handshake. You say, oh, yeah. oh. okay, yeah. because we have all gone through the same shit. So, yeah. Daniel, you're a great man. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I, you truly honor Absolutely. me.
Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. You guys out there, if we two can get our shit together, I think there's a fair chance for you, okay? So whatever you're feeling, whatever darkness is surrounding you, this will pass. The darkness will lift and you just can't see it now. So please stay strong. Please keep keep going. I don't give up. I believe in you. And trust me, things will change. And maybe we have planted the seeds today for you to take action, to see a family physician, to see a counselor, to see whoever is now coming into your life, to let that person come in and explore with you who the new you will be. So look after yourself. Bye.